Welcome to the Bubcast and happy hump day. Um, today is Wednesday, July 31st. Um, so this will be my third, my third podcast um, for the Bubcast. And basically, I had a few friends ask me about uh, breaking down the 2020 Democratic field. And I felt it would be appropriate to kind of break down last night's um, I guess it's the second chapter, first round, um, 2020 primary debates out of Detroit. So it was the first night. Um, the media billed it as the white debates because all of the essentially white candidates uh, were able to be there. Um, and they are having the second tier tonight, which seems to be more of the uh, minority candidates, which I found interesting, especially in a democratic primary debate because, I mean, they're supposed to be the party of uh, minorities. Um, So the reason why some of my friends asked me to break down the 2020 maybe presidential race is because I have a background in politics and it's something I am very much interested in. Um, So a little bit about my background. And again, I didn't mean to turn this podcast into a political podcast. And certainly isn't it's just kind of news of today but um so i have background a little bit of background in politics so in 2015 i decided i wanted to run for state representative um of the pennsylvania 118th legislative district well uh it didn't go over so well i knew nothing about politics i was definitely an upstart and i kind of just threw myself into it and not knowing anything i tried to uh, learn as I went, and it was just a failure. Well, failure in actually running and being elected, but I learned a lot. It was definitely an experience um, I'll never forget, um, and it led me into more of a party politics. So I was the vice chairman of the 118th District Republican Party, vice chairman, and then I was chairman for a short time before my resignation. Um, Basically, in 2017, I resigned, but basically my background, my experience, and I followed the 2016 election very, very closely. Um, Actually, I I was an initial supporter of Trump when he declared in June of 2015. I jumped around. I actually signed Marco Rubio's uh, petition in Pennsylvania. Um, I supported Rubio for a short time. Uh, hopped over to Kasich for a little bit, explored Jeb Bush, but I I just couldn't get on board with the uh, dynasty. And uh, back to Kasich, back to Trump, Kasich and Trump, I kind of flirted with a little bit uh, before eventually voting for Trump in the Pennsylvania primary and then the presidential election. Um, however, I, I was hoping the office of the presidency would change his demeanor a little bit. Um, as we know, that has not changed, but uh, looking at politics now, I don't look at it from a um, one-sided view. I try to stay as moderate as possible. Um, I try to listen to all candidates. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's um, AOC. I don't care if it's Bernie. I don't care if it's Ted Cruz. I'll, I'll listen to what they have to say and make my own decision. Um, so maybe that's also why some people wanted to hear my take on the 
2020 Democratic field, as well as kind of give a breakdown of where I foresee politics going. Um, <clears throat> well, basically, to break down the 2020 field, there's a lot um, more so, I guess, than even in 2016 for the Republican Party, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Um, one of the things I can't stand the most is the jockeying for position. So you have candidates that consistently try to score cheap points to get a name brand. Um, love it, hate it. One of the reasons why Trump did very, very well is he controlled the media narrative. Um, still does. I mean, he could send out a tweet and it changes the media's perspective for the next 24, 48 hours. So that's one of the things I hate the most about having such a large field. But one of the things I thoroughly, I foresee for future at least. Um, so two of the 2020 candidates were actually on um, the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, that's Tulsi Gabbard and uh, Andrew Yang. And it's actually uh, no coincidence that they are the two that I actually support the most so far because I know the most about them. So they went on a long form podcast. They didn't have to score a cheap point. They didn't have to have a sound bite. They were able to talk for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours about their policy positions. Um, something that a debate, quite frankly, doesn't um, have the opportunity to award, especially when you have a field as crowded as last night. So I, uh, I guess to start, I'll go over the uh, 2020 candidates that are polling above 1%, um, and those are Joe Biden. So most should know who Joe Biden is. He was vice president under Barack Obama. He was also a longtime vice president um, under, I'm sorry, he was vice president under Obama and longtime senator from Delaware. Um, he was, he has the moniker Crazy Uncle Joe. I don't know if that's from Trump or whomever, but he, uh, there's a lot of memes, especially under Obama's administration of him and Obama. He just seems kind of like the, the crazy cool uncle. Uh, Joe Biden. But um, next we, oh, and he's pulling at 40% currently. Um, I pulled that from, uh, I want to say, probably pulled it from Wikipedia, to be honest. Um, but I believe that was their average polling. Um, Bernie Sanders, he's the senator from Vermont. Uh, actually, no, I pulled that from uh, CNN, I believe. Um Bernie Sanders, long, long-time senator from Vermont. I don't know how many terms he has served so far, uh, but I know it's been a long time. And, uh, well, quite frankly, he was, uh, he's been in politics for almost, I mean, longer than I've been alive, and I've only been alive for 31 years, but uh, he was mayor of uh, Burlington, Vermont, prior to becoming a senator of Vermont. And most people know him as the uh, socialist uh, Democrat. However, um, you know, that's just an ugly moniker anymore. It doesn't really to describe who he is, but it's who uh, is in second at 27% currently. Uh, next, we have Elizabeth Warren, uh, educator, um, senator from Massachusetts. Uh, she's pulling at 19%. 
uh, Kamala Harris. She's a senator from California. She was California's um, attorney general. Um, she's polling at roughly 17%. Um, again, this is going to be a long list, so I'll, I'll actually speed it up a little bit. We have Pete Buttigieg, uh, mayor from South Bend, 13%. Beto O'Rourke, represent, former representative from Texas. Um, he's pulling in at 10%. Cory Booker, then it's actually a significant drop-off. Cory Booker, Senator from New Jersey, 4.3. Amy Klobuchar, Senator from Minnesota, 4%. Julian Castro, former HUD Secretary under Obama, 2.7%. Andrew Yang, uh, he's an entrepreneur, uh, pulling at 2%. Tulsi Gabbard, Representative from Hawaii, uh, she's at 1.3%. Kristen Gillibrand, Senator from New York, is at 1.3%. So last night's debate, like I said, was the first debate. Um, it was categorized as the white debate because it primarily had all of the white candidates on the debate stage. I really don't care. Like I said before, I want to hear what the proposals are. Um, so I actually started listening uh, to CNN's podcast. They uh, broadcasted the um, debate uh, live um, over radio, so I don't really care what they look like. I don't care what their mannerisms are. I want to really hear their policy and substance. Um, there was a, quite a few people, uh, a lot of people that I did not uh, list, but last night there was um, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, Beto O'Rourke, um, I want to say Steve Bollock, I forget his first name. Um, he's governor from uh, Montana. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Jim Delaney, uh, Tim Ryan, Marianne Williamson, I, I really don't know a lot about her, and John Hickenlooper. Again, I, I don't really know a lot about him either. But um, I listened to a lot of the talking heads, so uh, 538, um, NPR, uh, Politico podcast. I wanted to listen to kind of their take on the debates last night prior to listening to the debate. So most of them actually had um, Elizabeth Warren winning, and I could see why after, or listen why after listening to the debates, she was impassioned. She definitely um, attacked Trump quite substantially. She called for party unity. She claimed that she would support any um, Democratic candidate for president of the United States, um, regardless of who's elected. Um, she also said she wants to um, take back the House and Senate, and she'll support any Democratic candidate running for president, or I'm sorry, running for either representative or senator. Um, so that's very important. You hear messages of party unity. Um, she was really, I guess she'd be the second one to have spoken, or maybe she was the, no, I'm sorry, she was one of the uh, last to introduce themselves. Um she, I have her winning it as well um, from the Democratic side because of her, well, I'll tell you what, she won it from the get-go. So when she was introducing herself, she came right at Donald Trump. Um, she said that Donald Trump disgrace, um, disgraces the uh, office of the President of the United States every single day um, with tweets, his mannerisms, and actions. Um, she said, again, that she would support any candidate who's a Democrat whether that's in Congress, in the Senate, or the eventual Democratic nominee for president. Um, she wants to fight the wealth and connected class. 
She wants to fight for democracy and she wants an economy that serves everyone. Um, my takeaway as well is that she did a great job of help helping Bernie Sanders, especially when he was getting attacked by um, like Delaney. Um, there was a tidbit where uh, Jim, De- or I'm sorry, John Delaney um, kind of came at Bernie Sanders um, and Bernie Sanders said, hey, I, I wrote the damn bill. But you kind of heard Elizabeth Warren on the side kind of chiming in as well. Um, She did a good job of getting her name out there. I think she probably had the most, um, I don't know exactly how much time, mic time she had, but I would guess that it was pretty substantial. Um, Basically, I mean, I I would sum up last night's debate as a uh, kind of a shit show. (laughs) No, uh, in all seriousness, it was very short formed. Um, candidates were able to talk for roughly 30, 45 seconds, not very long. Um, if they were responding to somebody, I think it was like 15 seconds. And the moderators did a great job of interrupting quite regularly. Um, it actually made it very painful to listen to. I can imagine how it was watching it. Um, it was probably much worse. But um, listening to it, at least, it was not... I think it was Jake Tapper, who was one of the moderators. He seemed to chime in the most. And uh, it just, like I said, it was messy. I don't like the short form debate, quote unquote, um, format. I don't think it benefits potential voters in any way. I don't think it attracts a voter. I think it does a good job of weeding out the lesser candidates who don't have as much of a time. But I think it does a bad job of getting into substance and policy. Um, But last night was definitely, the bulk of it was about Medicare. I'm sorry, not Medicare, health insurance. Um, Really, it was two camps. It was uh, pretty much a single payer or Medicare for all versus a, uh, I mean, not social. I mean, I'd say socialized healthcare versus more of like a healthcare system that's supplemented by private insurance. That seemed to be the, uh, the bulk of what um, bulk of the candidates actually supported. It seemed that uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, um, I'm sorry, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were kind of in one field, whereas the rest were in the other. Um, Like I said, John Delaney and Bernie Sanders kind of attacked each other early on. Uh, Delaney definitely painted himself as a moderate right out of the gate. He went after, I think he mentioned Bernie and uh, Warren immediately. So he really, I think, wants to try to draw in the the moderate middle class voting, the blue dog Democrats. Um, I think in 2020, I don't think the Democratic Party has patience or time for that. I don't think he does well at all. Um, And then uh, I'll just go over kind of the introductions of how people presented themselves in my notes about each candidate. So Steve Bullock, he was the first to introduce himself. He is a self-proclaimed populist Democrat. Um, I believe the first thing he said is pro-choice um, and pro-medic, pro-healthcare for all or something like that. He wants Democrats to focus on the challenges by voters, not so much identity or partisan politics. Um, again, Marianne Williamson, she had a very impassioned but long-winded introduction. Um, she said the safety, health, and well-being um, of Americans take a backseat to corporations, which, you know, it's hard to, to deny. Um, we can't afford 
I mean, again, this is coming from the, the right argument, but we can't afford healthcare um, for all of bankrupt America. Why should we pay for, um, you know, why should I help my neighbor um, get by if they're not willing to work for it when we pretty much prop up a lot of corporations with corporate welfare? You don't hear a lot of people talk about that. So it's nice to to see her at least mention that. Um, I already mentioned John Delaney. He really painted himself as a moderate. Tim Ryan, um, I, I like the one line that he had. I believe it was USA, the United States of America is great, but people don't have access to greatness. Um, he talked about the plight of the middle class. He's also another one who's tired of left and right politics. And one thing I really liked about um, Tim Ryan is he mentioned that why would we why would we reform old systems, um, old processes, old thoughts and ideas when we can build new ones and we should be looking to build new ones? It was kind of a nice and uh, optimistic view. Uh, John Hickenlooper, he uh, I guess he owned a brew pub. He mentioned that right off the bat. He understands small business lessons from that. I guess he was governor of Colorado. Um, he mentioned that he beat the NRA, which, again, political points. Um, he says he understands solutions to solve problems and create jobs. Again, very vague. They're not able to really not really get into a lot of detail because they only had a short amount of time. Um, and, again, it's the number of people, but I wish they would have had more time. Um, Aben Klobuchar, she talked mainly about her background, that her dad and grandfather were iron worker union members, talked about her roots, why she'd be a good fit for presidency. Beto O'Rourke, he uh, talked about human rights and the rule of law, um, democracy, that Americans are Americans first before anything else, but we're going to lead the world in jobs, the economy, climate change, etc. Um, to be honest, Beto O'Rourke reminds me a lot of a Marco Rubio in that he is polished, but doesn't have a lot of substance, if that makes sense. Um, the big win, the big win, um, or the one thing that helped Trump in 2016, at least in the debates, was Chris Christie uh, viciously attacking Marco Rubio as a robot, uh, a stage, a clone. Um, I'd be curious to see, um, I could see like a Kamala Harris attacking Beto as kind of a clone, or like a stage candidate. That'd be interesting to see. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, he's interesting. I don't know a lot about him. But I see the appeal. He's young, um, officer. Like I said, uh, I, I believe I said that he's an officer and uh, was an officer. I don't know if he's still in the military. Um, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, um, openly gay. But he mentioned that he, we're running out of time. Um, America is in a crisis, crisis of identity. Uh, we have endless wars. We have climate change, income inequality. Um, I, and I realized after listening to him, um, I never heard him talk before. He's actually really polished. I could see the appeal. Um, I know people have, I've read articles uh, describing him um, and Beto O'Rourke as like Kennedy-esque, which is interesting. Uh, next, like I said, we have Elizabeth Warren, who right off the bat attacked Donald Trump. Like I said, she said he, uh, like I said, um, in the debate, she went right after Donald, um, saying he disgraces the position that he holds. Um, I'm more familiar with Elizabeth Warren because I work in an industry, um, financial servicing that she can't stand. Um, 
So off the bat, I'm, I guess I'm more geared to not like her. But again, I never really have had the opportunity to sit down and listen to her talk. Um, she's definitely impassioned. She's a firebrand. Um, I think in a debate, she could hold her own, and she did last night. And I think she was able to showcase that. Uh, the last was uh, Bernie Sanders. He uh, he came off strong right off the gate. You can tell he's extremely passionate about uh, um, health care. Um, he believes that it's a fundamental right. He does not believe it's a service. He does not believe it should be a profitable industry. Um, as he described, 87 million people are uninsured or underinsured. Well, um, healthcare companies make hundreds, tens of billions of dollars a year in profits. Um, he doesn't think anybody should profit off the health or sickness of somebody else. And, you know, it's a strong argument. Um, it's an extreme, it's, it's very hard to argue that, um, he mentioned in his opening, at least 500,000 Americans live in the street. A lot of them are veterans, um. Well, Amazon and other corporations pay zero dollars in taxes. Uh, again, that's that's an argument that I have. I could get behind that argument. Um, you know, I have to pay my fair share. They should too. Um, there should be no loopholes. Uh, it should be a flat tax. I don't care what anybody says. Ten percent here is better than fifteen, twenty percent in another country. As long as they are paying something, I mean, ten percent of a trillion dollars, like what Amazon is essentially worth, that's a lot of money going towards the economy. Um, and again, that's something that the majority of people could get behind, and I see the appeal. Uh, he continued that 49% of all income goes to one the 1%, essentially. So blaming the 1%, easy win, easy political points. Um, attack the fossil fuel industry, which I firmly agree with. I believe climate change myself. And anyway, I don't want to interject my opinions and beliefs onto a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, or really anybody. I don't care um necessarily to do that but um again i guess i'm narrating this podcast so i kind of have to but i I believe the fossil fuel fuel industry needs to die immediately um i believe that right now we have the ability to switch over to an electric system um or close to free energy or clean energy we should be exploring that at all costs um we should not be beholden to fossil fuel industries. We shouldn't be beholden to OPEC, natural gas, or limited resources. Um, and again, these fossil fuels and big industry have polluted and killed our environment, essentially. And we need to clean that up. Um, it's a very, very important subject, especially for me. Now that I have a child, I'm, I'm really concerned about the climate. Um, so he went after fossil fuels pretty hard, and then he went after Donald Trump, uh, labeled him racist and xenophobic. Um, you know, there's some things that Donald says it's it's hard to argue. Um, it's extremely hard to argue. Um, but I look at him from a presidential standpoint, like, what is he doing? Is he moving America in the right direction in some policies? Is he the best president? No. Is he the worst president? I don't think so. I think he's doing a pretty good job um, from an economic standpoint. But again, we also have room to improve. Um, that's just my personal opinion again. But going back to the debate, like I said, it's about it's about healthcare. Um, the argument, uh, like I said, Sanders says healthcare is a basic human right. It's not a privilege. 
um, to start, Delaney came came out that he's for um, basic health care for free, but he doesn't want to penalize private insurance. He wants to see it supplemented. Um, and it seemed to be Elizabeth Warren fell in line with Bernie. The rest kind of fell in line with Delaney in some sort and form or fashion. Um, Warren, I think, had the uh, highlight of the night by saying Democrats are the ones not trying to take health care. She attacked the GP, GOP, the Republican Party, by taking health care away, uh, repealing and replacing Obamacare. Uh, my takeaway from the whole debate is uh, the quote-unquote moderates versus the quote-unquote extremists of the party. Um, I don't care what a person's plan is. Uh, my questions would be, one, how will the government pay for it? Um, it's an important question to ask. Like, Are taxes going to go up? Who are they going to go up for? Um, am I going to pay more out of pocket? Which leads to my next question. So what is the cost for the American individual? Um, so for a family of three, uh, my wife and I pay roughly, and again, we have insurance through work. It's good. It's not the best. Um, I think we pay roughly 300 every two weeks for just the insurance. Um, so say roughly $600. Uh, we have, for a family, a $5,000 deductible, um, so broken up in a monthly expense, what, one twenty? Oh no, more than that. Uh, a pretty substantial monthly, I can't do math right now, my brain's kind of shot. Um, pretty substantial if we ever needed to use it, deductible. And then, um, so last year we actually, um, my wife gave birth to our daughter. Um, we then we used up our deductible and then we went on to coinsurance, which is the addition to, um, which is addition to our monthly premium and the deductible. So it's pretty substantial. I think, you know, right now we spend 600 a month. Um, we just have a bill through, um, actually we have Geisinger health. So, um, we're still paying on that. It's roughly $200 a month on top of what we pay for healthcare uh, to pay down some of that medical debt. So I understand the uh, it being an important topic. I really do. Um, it's expensive. So me as a consumer, um, customer, if you will, um, constituent, I, I really wanna know what my cost is going to be. So if I spend 600 um, a month in just healthcare on top of 200 medical bills, that's roughly $800 a month for my family that I spend. Is it going to go up? Is it going to go up to 1,000? Um, it's going to go down. Uh, you know, most of these plans come without a deductible, comes without a copay, comes without, et cetera. I show up, I get hurt, show up, give my name, social security number, and I'm done. Um, I might have to wait a while, but you know, what's the cost going to be? If it's $800 a month and I don't have to pay a deductible, we could talk about that. Um, but anyway, that's just my, my thought on what the cost will be for individual Americans. Um, then why should we as Americans trust that the government is going to do right by us? Um, how are they going to decide what's covered and what isn't? Is everything covered? Is nothing covered? Um, are certain things covered? Are abortions covered? You know, um, those are hot button topics that somebody's gonna have to make a decision. Why should we trust that the government, why should we trust the government in making that decision? And what if they make the wrong decision in the individual's eyes? 
if it's Medicare for all and we can't opt out, we have nothing else, then we're kind of stuck. We're beholden to it, right? Um, how will the healthcare industry change? It's a good question, I think. I don't know. Um, I'm not running for president, but uh, I'd be curious to see their take on it. Um, what country has the best healthcare system? Would we model it off a particular one? Um, you know, I know about Canada that you pretty much could get hurt in Canada, go to the hospital and not pay a dime. But I also know that if you are injured, you enter an emergency room and there's a hierarchy. Um, you might be seen right away if it's more pressing, you might be seen later on. Um, but again, it's kind of triaging as you come in. I mean, you might wait three or four hours if you cut your arm or break your arm and you're gonna be in pain for a while, but you're not paying anything extra. So it's kind of that cost to benefit ratio. But I also understand that Canada has private clinics that um, wealthy individuals can go and pay for or have supplemental insurance to go through. Um, that's how Germany does it, I believe, is they're able to um, subsidize their state healthcare with private insurance, where if you wanted to pay more and have, I guess, better coverage, you can, um, or more options, which I think is probably the best thing to look at. Is it kind of a basic healthcare system? Um, it's provided by the government with the option to supplement it. Um, but again, I, I don't know. I'm not running for office. I don't need to know that. I don't need to come up with solutions. It's not me. Um, I just have to vote on the person who could argue their point the best in a way. Um, my other question would be really, how can we improve the health of Americans? So my health insurance company that I use does a monthly wellness incentives. So if I do certain things and I get healthy and I'm tracking my health, I'm tracking my weight, I'm tracking my sleep. Um, again, that's another topic for another time, big data and data collection. But if I'm doing these things and being healthy, I might have bigger incentives. My premium might go down a little bit. Um, how's the government going to implement programs like that into their overall plan? Um, and my last question, which is important, um, is can government accelerate um, innovation? So under or in the 50s and 60s, we had the space race against Russia and Americans, I'm sorry, NASA specifically uh, was innovating. I mean, a lot of um, daily appliances that we use now were invented because of the space shuttles um, or rockets, I guess, at the time. They didn't really have space shuttles, but um, the space program. So a lot of the stuff we use today is based on that. Um, so how can we, if the government takes over healthcare, accelerate innovation? How are we going to make science and medical science specifically better for all? Again, I don't, I don't know the question to that. How are we going to force competition? I think it would be better than having no competition and, uh, anyway, that's, that's my thought. Like, how, how are we going to innovate? How are we going to be competitive? How are we going to find advances in medicine to possibly cure people, to extend people's lives, to make it easier so people aren't burdened by health, healthcare? Um, again, I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything, but those are some important questions that I believe some of these candidates need to answer. Um, and again, I, I think maybe... Bernie and Elizabeth Warren had the most passion. That's why they were claimed the champions. 
but people like a um, Jim Delaney or Tim Ryan, they had some really valid points, and I, I think they're going to get lost in the shuffle. I do, um, which is sad because they're kind of the voice of reason, but I think they would be, I think it would behoove people to do their research, to really listen to individual candidates. Um, tonight is the second portion of the debate. Um, I know Andrew Yang, Tulsi Gabbard, um, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, uh, Jillian Castro um, will be on tonight's debate stage. I'll be interested. It'll probably follow the same format. Um, so I'm not really, I'll listen to it and I'll give another breakdown tomorrow afternoon. However, um, I'm guessing it'll be much of the same. Hopefully they kind of talk about healthcare as well. It'd be interesting to see their take on it just because it's two separate debates. Um, I would be interested to see more of like border security, um, the economy, growing businesses. Um, how are we going to help the lower and middle class families? Um, but I, I implore you guys to go out and to explore some of these candidates. Like I said, there were two podcasts on Joe Rogan. Um, that Tulsi has done uh, that are long formed. They're pretty substantial. They're going to be long listening, but I think they would benefit you as a voter um, to listen to. And then there's one with Andrew Yang, and he's really been making the alternate media rounds. He uh, He's really, really pushing hard for universal basic income. And, uh, you know, that screams socialism from the right, but the way he presents it, it does not he describes as more libertarian in nature. Um, those are my two favorite candidates right now from the whole Democratic Party. Um, again, I do give the nod to Elizabeth Warren just because she was impassioned. Um, she was able to probably get the most mic time. So it is what it is. I, I don't definitely crown her the winner of the presidential race. It's a long race. And as 2016 proved, um, it's all about ads. It's all about eating up media time. The debates don't really mean a lot because there's not a lot of time to get your message across. So go out there, explore these candidates. Don't just blindly follow somebody because they look like a Kennedy, quote unquote, uh, like a Beto or a uh, Pete Buttigieg. But follow them and pay attention to them on a individual basis. So, but thanks for listening to the uh, political edition of the Bubcast. Uh, this will be one of two parts. So tomorrow or the next day, I will try to recap um, night two of the uh, second round of Democratic presidential debates. And uh, also some good news, I will be having a good friend, Mike, on the podcast in the next few days or so. Um, we'll probably just shoot the shit about really whatever comes to mind. I think we might uh, come up with uh, maybe a couple topics beforehand, maybe play a game, uh, to jelly bean into the podcast, but uh, looking forward to having him on and uh, appreciate him coming on. So uh, thanks guys for listening. Have a great Wednesday and uh, hopefully you tune in tonight for the uh, second round of the debates. If not tune in here tomorrow and I'll give you a recap. Alrighty. Take care.